0: Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to 1st Samuel chapter number 17, 1st Samuel chapter number 17, 1st Samuel chapter number 17, a lot of works went into a lot of the different parts of the conference and I appreciate everybody that's helped to do the decorating and the skits and the songs and all the stuff that's went on and uh, now we come to the preaching, the main event, amen. And uh, I want to I want to help you. What a message by Doctor Whitehouse! And let me tell you something. He didn't he didn't uh, uh, tell a bunch of funny stories uh, or or do any uh, 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 special tricks up here. But let me tell you, what he did. He gave you a message that if you'll apply that to your life, it'll save your life. Are you with me? First Samuel seventeen verse twenty one is where we'll start. For Israel and the Philistines had Put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enri- enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him uh, after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Verse 29. For those of you that are a little older, you'll recognize it. The Bible says this, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? The scene is set here for one of the most memorable Bible stories. If I were to ask you how many times you've heard a sermon or a lesson or a junior church message on David and Goliath, you probably couldn't remember them all. But tonight I want to preach one more time about David and Goliath and ask you, your generation. I wanted to say my generation, but I'm getting up there. Is there not a cause? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, I'm no Jack Hiles. I'm a wannabe rapping teenage boy who got saved. And God, who you chose to put into the ministry. And God, I'm so glad I get to be a part of what we do here. Lord, I love the fun and the skits and the games and the, and the activities. But, Lord, this is the most important thing I've worked on all year long. Please, God, fill me with your power. Use me as I preach. And, Lord, may there be someone here who sees more than a conference, more than a sermon, but, Lord, finds their cause. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look, if you will, at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 17, and you'll see the conflict. Now, the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at that place, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah. Now, listen. I pronounce those however I want to, okay? Okay. Uh, But that's how I'm doing it today. And uh, that place. Uh, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Eli and set in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. Verse number 16 says, "...and the Philistine drew near morning and evening, and presented himself forty days." The Philistines have now invaded Israel. They're about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And on one side of this valley, you have the enemy, the Philistines. On the other side of the valley, you have God's people, the children of Israel. And they are about to fight. But for 40 days now, this Philistine has came out to defy, defeat, and destroy Israel. And each day that he comes out, his, his uh, uh, rhetoric, his, his uh, uh, yelling, his name-calling, his, his ridicule of Israel gets worse and worse. In fact, you'll find when the fight actually starts, he begins cursing David and his gods. If you look at verses 4 through 7, you'll see the champion. The heavyweight champion of Gath. Ten feet tall. His coat alone weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 pounds. Just his coat. His legs are covered. His chest is covered as well. He's got a bronze helmet. He's carrying a sword, we find out later on, and a shield. Holding a spear that weighs 25 pounds. This is a big dude. He's the champ. All right? He's the, he's the undefeated, unbeatable, unchallenged, unstoppable, so rough and tough and mean that nobody on that side is going to come out and fight it. They're all scared. Verses 8 through 10, we see the challenge. He stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, a a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for me, uh, a, a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail, against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man. You know what he's saying? Why are you here if you're not going to fight? Why did you even bring the army down to the valley if you weren't going to step out and do something? Verse number 9 says, if you can come out and win, we'll serve you. But if you lose, you're going to be our servants. Verse number 10, I defy the armies. He was saying, y'all ain't nothing. All right? That's in the Hebrew. (laughs) And then he says in verse number 10, give me a man. It's almost like he's saying, is there any men over there in y'all's army? Because I'm standing out here now for 40 days asking for somebody to fight, and nobody's came out. Who was going to step up? They were just speaking honest and candid, they were chickens and cowards and sissies is probably what he called them. Okay? More in the Hebrew. In verse number 11, you see the condition. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Listen now, this wasn't a group of farmers with rakes and hoes. This is the army of Israel. Israel. This is the king that isn't that little boy that that pulled the sword out of the stone. This is the king that was head and shoulders above everyone else. And he's hunkered down afraid. They had taken land, fought great battles, conquered cities, slew entire people as God blessed them mightily. But now here they are, crouched down in fear and hiding from one man. All of them knew it was a matter of time before they would be conquered and enslaved again, as he talked about, by the the Philistines. All of them knew that, and no one would even try. Till we get to verse 15, and we see the contender. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Skip to verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, take now for thy brethren uh, an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. He had some bread and some cheese and if you put that in the microwave, that's a pizza. Just saying. So here he comes running down an the army with those pizzas in his arm, you know. And as he jumps out of his taxi or his carriage, as the Bible says... Here's what he finds out. This heart-playing, ruddy shepherd boy got sent home in verse number 15 because they probably thought he was too young for battle. They probably thought he was too inexperienced to fight. They probably thought he wasn't war-ready or wasn't tough enough to do what a soldier needs to do. Verses 17 and 18, Jesse sends him down to give those pizzas to his brothers. And in verse number 20, David gets out and hears the Philistine bad-mouthing Israel, the king, and more importantly, his God. You see, David had family and friends in that battle. David had a father back home who was at stake, had the Philistines taken over Israel. He had a flock back home that he was willing to die for. And his faith was under attack. His future, if someone doesn't take that giant down, is gone. Then they say in verse 25, have you not heard of this champion? He's the meanest, greenest, roughest, toughest, hombre around. David interrupts him in verse 26 and he says, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? He said, who is that guy that don't stand a chance against a man of God? David had enough. And something had to be done. Verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine. The cause: the uh, cowering, scared soldier Eliab, angry at David for doing something he was too afraid to do, says, "Hey, uh, listen, you're you're too young, and and you're not serious. I know the naughtiness of your heart. You're just playing a game. You're not serious." David said, I may be young, but is there not a cause? David said, I may die, but is there not a cause? I may be the only one over here, and I'm the pizza delivery boy, and y'all are trained soldiers, and I'm the only one willing, but is there not a cause? I may have a job at home that I'm leaving behind, but is there not a cause? You may sit back and let the giant talk about your God and your king and your country, but me, sir, I have a cause. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause that's greater than selfish ambition? Is there not a cause that's greater than making money? Is there not a cause that's bigger than having a career? Is there not a cause that's greater than sleep in the morning? Is there not a cause that's greater than pleasure? Greater than the music of this world? Greater than sports? As much as we get pumped up for everything else, is there not a cause? Because you see, today there is a conflict. The devil and the world and even our flesh attack us on a daily basis. And it seems that each day and each year they get more bold in their attack, just like that giant. Like the Philistines and Israel, the church has been invaded. And on one hand, you hear walk walk with God and love uh, live for God and love God and serve God. And on the other hand, you see sodomites getting married. You see babies getting killed. You hear filthy music coming from the Christian's car. You see fornication even in the church and in the youth group. Pornography on computers in Christian's homes. Hollywood being promoted and shoved down our throat. There's a conflict. Today there's a champion. You see, although we sang on the winning side, you and I both know that it seems that the devil and his crowd of queers and rappers and harlots are hard to defeat. The prince of the power of the air runs the television and the radio and the internet and social media and social media and news media. And victims fall daily to his attacks. He lies in wait and devours any who doubt his power. Look around you. Some of you that's been coming to this conference for the five years or six years that we've had this conference... You used to bring that one or that other one that's no longer in your youth group. Not because they graduated. Because they quit. What happened? They got beaten by the champ. They got slaughtered by the champ. Pastors and youth pastors and ministries even are falling prey to the champ. There's a champion. Today there's a challenge. The devil, doomed to hell, marches into the church and says, Fight me or serve me. Did you hear that? He says, You will either fight me or serve me. There cannot forever be a stalemate between that side and that side. Eventually, one of us is going to take the battle to one another. with our appearance, with His uh, attack on our appearance and our attitude, mocking our God as, that we serve in every sense of, of any sort of media, attacking the Word of God, belittling Bible standards, fighting the faith and damning souls to an eternal hell. The challenge is laid out. Sadly, today there's also a condition. Many churches are changing, dying, closing, Preachers and youth pastors everywhere are hiding in the ravine of the culture. Afraid of the enemy. And huddling with the ones that they have. Still there. Meanwhile, the young people, you. The future. Are dismayed. That's That's a Bible word. From 17. From chapter 17. Dismayed, meaning confused. Wondering. Do I really want to buy into this fundamentalist stuff? Is it really going to last? Or like those liberals say, is it on its last legs and going out the window? Yeah. The devil win is winning. Winning in our homes. Winning at destroying our homes. Winning at destroying our families. Winning at destroying our purity. Winning at destroying a life for God. And if we're not careful, we will run, we will hide, and we will quit. But I believe tonight, the whole reason we did all this right here is because just like, we, uh, just like the sign says, we're looking for some contenders. And I honestly believe that in this room tonight, there's a few young people that are willing to contend no matter the size of the giant, no matter the number of the army, but willing to contend. That's what this conference is about if uh, you you don't want to uh, serve Satan or sin or the sickness of this world, and listen, uh, uh, some of you may be young, you may be inexperienced, Uh, you may think you're not war ready or tough enough to stand for God, but if you're willing to not run and willing to not hide and willing to not quit and willing to put up your dukes and throw a few every now and then, not at people, but at the prince of the power of the air, will you stand? Will you make a difference? Will you change the world for your family that is under attack? For your friends that are under attack? For your faith that is under attack? And for your future that is under attack? With the conflict and the champion and the challenge and the condition and the contenders, I have a question for you. Is there not a cause? The word "cause" is defined as the reason or motive that urges, moves, or impels action or decision. What put that heart playing shepherd boy in the battle? His brother? Er, wrong answer. What put that uh, young man out there uh, with no experience in war? A cause. What pushed Noah to build a boat with no water around? A cause. What motivated Moses to the edge of the sea, to part the Red Sea? A cause. What pushed Paul to continue preaching until his death? A cause. Our generation loves superheroes. Don't we? We're enamored by it. Why? Because we like seeing someone with a cause. We love stories of military war and fighting and winning. Why? Because of the cause. In just a few weeks, we'll cheer for an underdog team we've never heard of. Because of a cause. We enjoy watching someone with a cause. But I'm not talking about everybody else. I'm talking about you. Is there not a cause for you? You see, it's fun to come and watch and to watch us get up here and preach and to watch all this go on, but let me tell you something. What about your cause? You can't live on my cause. You've got to have a cause. Young man, are you going to live your life for yourself? For a dollar? For a sin that will not satisfy? Or is there a cause? Young lady, are you going to live your life for looks, for selfish ambition, and for for pleasures of this life, or is there a cause? Let me say this, pastors, youth pastors that are here. Why do we do what we do? For popularity? For praise? For a paycheck? Or is there a cause? Because young people and older alike, let me tell you something. When all those other things go away, your cause will keep you going. Listen, if Japanese kamikaze pilots were willing to die for an effeminate emperor in a loss, surely to goodness there's a cause for you and I to live for God and not self. If Muslim terrorists blow themselves up for a made up moon god from hell, surely there's a cause for a teenager to surrender their will to God's will. Is there not a cause? But, Brother Davis, the enemy's so big and so powerful. I mean, my friends, they've tried, and I've seen them uh, try to serve God, and they fail, and they're, they go into the world. Uh, people I know have changed, and they're not fighting anymore. They're hunkered down, trying to hold out till Jesus comes. Nobody's fighting anymore. Nobody wants to take a stand. Nobody wants to do anything. We just want to hunker down and hold out till Jesus comes. What are you going to do with your life? You think, how much money am I going to make? How successful am I going to get? You ask a high school senior, what are you going to do with your life? I don't know. Usually that answer is the same two years into college. I don't think it's a lack of inexperience, I think it's a lack of a cause. What drives a man to dedicate his life to teach Christian school? Uh, and uh, Christian school kids, many of whom are whom are unappreciative and ungrateful, a cause. What drives a man to pastor a church and to love people who many times don't love back? A cause. What allows a young man to surrender his life to Christ, to preach? To go to a mission field. To work a bus route. To be a soul winner. To live for God in His world. A cause. While the world dies and goes to hell, is there not a cause? While the devil destroys your friends and your families and towns exist without an independent, fundamental, soul winning Baptist church. Is there not a cause? While others may run and hide or quit or fake like they're in the battle when they're not, is there not a cause? While your generation pulls further from the Bible and from God, is there not a cause? You see, the cause isn't money. And the cause isn't success. And the cause isn't selfishness. And the cause isn't a career. And the cause isn't pleasure or prizes. The cause is not sports. The cause is not social work or the military or business. The cause is Christ. And if you're saved, you're called to the cause. The question isn't do uh, uh, is uh, the, the question is not is there a cause? The question is, are you willing to consider the cause? The Bible says in verse number twenty-three, and David heard it. David saw that conflict. He heard that challenge. He seen that champion. And David, in his heart, he considered the cause. Does, do you see it? Does it affect you? Does it bother you? When you drive through a town and see a set of apartment buildings, do you think, man, who's reaching those people for Christ? Buses run in our churches not because it's a, not because we, we have to do that or not because it's a wonderful money making opportunity. Buses run because of a cause. Youth department doesn't exist just to to satisfy your sinful flesh. Youth department exists for a cause. You stay pure not because you have self-control, but because you have a cause. You live right not because it's always easy, but because you have a cause. You go soul winning not because it's your favorite pastime, but because it's a cause. You love others not because they reciprocate the love, but because you have a cause. A missionary has a cause. A preacher has a cause. A soul winner, a Sunday school teacher has a cause. By the way, that cause is bigger than you. David showed up and they kept talking about the reward. Hey, man, if you kill this guy, this is what you got. Or if you fight this guy, this is what you're going to get. David asked, read your Bible. He says... What do I get if I kill him? David wasn't there for an opportunity. David wasn't there to make a soldier's paycheck. David wasn't there to build his pride or his ego. David wasn't looking for a career. This moment that we read about in 1 Samuel 17 isn't about David or isn't about Goliath. It's about a cause. I said, number one, you got to consider the cause. Number two, commit to the cause. Verse 22. Notice this. And David left his carriage. You know what he could have done, don't you? Pulled up and hit the horn. Beep, beep. Hey, pizza's here. And drove on. The Bible says he got out of his carriage. And then notice this. He ran. Look at verse 23. I'm sorry, not verse 23, verse 22. He got out of the carriage, put the, the carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army. He ran down there. And no doubt, the taxi wasn't waiting on him. The taxi took off. That's what happens. David came running down. He wasn't looking for a way out of the battle. He was looking for a way in. God give us some young people to say, Brother Davis, I'm not looking for a way out of standing for right. I'm looking for a way in. I want to stand for my standards. I want to stand for my Bible. I want to be different than everybody at work. Cause I'm a Christian and I have a cause. David had a cause. He was committed to that cause. There was no turning back when he ran down there and started running his mouth. There was no cause. Why not you? There are some of you who agree there is a cause. And some of you love when someone fights the devil. You love standing for right. You love the old time religion. You love someone preaching the truth. You love the bus ministry. You love winning souls. You love hearing missionary stories. Just not you. Not about that life, right? Let me tell you something. You know why? Because you want money more than you want a cause. You want popularity more than you want a cause. You want a boyfriend or a girlfriend more than you want a cause. You want a high score on Flappy Bird more than you want a cause. Is there not a cause? Some of you need to get a cause. Listen, if you just left this conference with something that ate you alive, A cause that woke you up in the morning, not because you had to be somewhere that early, but because you wanted to walk with God for the cause. A cause that serves God. A cause that changes lives. A cause that changes your life. Hey, stop sitting around and watching as the world turns and make the world turn. There was a man who wanted to be successful. He contacted a successful man to ask how to be successful. By the way, that's how you get successful is you hang out with successful men. You want to be spiritual? Hang out with spiritual people. Let me tell you why you don't hang out with spiritual people. Because you get convicted. They're more spiritual than you and you don't like it. That's why you hang out with the carnal crowd. Because you're more spiritual than them with me i'm only about 16 years removed from it i know this man want to be successful he contacted the guy the guy said hey listen meet me at the beach at four o'clock by the way we don't go to the beach we're fundamentalists we go to the shore Amen. he said meet me at the shore the guy thought i'm not trying to go swimming i want to be successful fellow said meet me on the shore Four o'clock in the morning, here came the guy. He, there was the other guy already there. He said, you want to be successful? He said, yeah. He said, let's go out in the water. This guy's thinking, this guy's nuts. But he's successful. He stepped out in the water. They went about waist deep. The successful man looked at the struggling man and said, hey, you want to be successful? Yeah. He said, let's go a little further. They went a little further. The water got up about right here. The man said, hey, you want to be successful? He said, man, you're nuts. I'm going home. He said, If you go home, you'll never be successful. He stepped out a little further. The water was right here. The successful man grabbed the struggling man and shoved him underwater and held him underwater for a few seconds. And the man began to kick and scream and fight. And finally, the successful man pulled the struggling man out of the water. And he was... uh, And he said, when you want to be successful, as bad as you want to breathe, you'll be successful. Can I tell you something? When you get a cause that you want as bad as you want to breathe, you can do something for God. I'm sick and tired of hearing about rock singers that can go three days without eating because they're so focused on their music. And we can't sit through a 30-minute church service and listen to the preacher the whole time. And you want me to believe you have a cause? Is there not a cause? Are you committed to that cause? How bad do you want it? Do you want it as bad as you want that television show that you'll never miss and you work your schedule around? Do you want it as bad as you want that sports championship? That you train and you run and you sacrifice? Or is it just a Sunday social club? Some of you are more committed to a boy than to a cause. Some of you are more committed to a girl than to the cause. Some of you are more committed to a a style of music where the artist could care less about you than you are to the cause. Is the cause of Christ not big enough to be given to? I mean, we're not talking about entertaining for 30 minutes. We're talking about changing the eternal destiny of a lost and dying world. Wow! That's something to live for. That's something to get up for. That's something to walk with God for. We're talking about families being rescued from the pits of hell and from sin and from liquor and from drugs. Talking about lives being changed. We're talking about towns without churches getting churches. Talking about youth departments somehow growing spiritually. Number three, and I'm finished. Consider the call. Be committed to the call. Number three, be confident in the cause. The cause, I'm sorry. Look at verse 46 of chapter 17. David said this, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. David said, I ain't just knocking you out. I'm cutting your head off, big fella. Then notice why. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines. He said, then I'm going to kill all your friends. This day into the fowls of the air, I'm going to feed your dead body to the birds, David said. And all the earth may know that I'm David. See, that's where I lose you. That's where we lose you. Because it's not about a stand with people clapping for you. It's not about everything going your way. It's not even about us. He said that they may know that there's a God in Israel. See, we fear. We fear as the Israeli army feared. We fear the odds. We fear we're too small. We fear we're too young. We fear because our family may not support us. Man, David's own brother looked at him and said, Man, you're not serious. Oh, man, you made the decision that you'd come. You didn't mean that. You ain't going to live that. You were just mischievous. I know the naughtiness of your heart. I know your pride. His own brother... We fear what our family is going to think if we give ourselves to a cause. We fear because we see others falling. We fear because we've tried it before and failed. Listen, David couldn't defeat Goliath. But a man with a cause could. A cause. What changes lives cause. Remember the Alamo, and that day, 630 Mexican soldiers died, 700 were taken prisoner, and only nine Texans died. Why? Because they were trained, because they had experience, because they had better weaponry. Oh no, sir, they had a cause. There's a lost world without Christ. It's not a cause. There churches tonight without pastors. Is there not a cause? There are teen youth groups without teen leaders. Is there not a cause? Their homes being destroyed by Satan. Is there not a cause? There are Christians falling away. Is there not a cause? The devil is seemingly winning as he prances about in front of the church laying out his challenge. Is there not cause? One-legged school teacher came to Hudson Taylor. And with only one leg...